So one of my favorite things to do at night in the summer or out in the fall is to be outside and have a fire going, have some s'mores, maybe have a little warm and frothy drink and um, just look up at the sky, especially on a night when the skies are really, really clear. Um, you know, I like to look for Orion. I like to look for the Little Dipper and the Big Dipper. Honestly, those are the only three constellations I know, so that's all I can look for. Um, but I remember when NASA put the Hubble telescope out into orbit in 1990. And then all of a sudden, we had the ability to look at the stars up close and super, super in detail. And some of my favorite pictures that the Hubble telescope has taken are um, pictures of nebula. If you don't know what a nebula is, it's basically a big ball of gas inside which there are stars. But they're super beautiful, they're super colorful, and it has made for me um, kind of like a revelation of space is not just this big, dark, empty space, it's actually full of color and light and beauty. So I wanted to share some of those with you guys. This is the Cat's Eye Nebula. It's 3,000 light years away from Earth and it has a bright star in the middle of it, which as you look at it, it looks like a cat's eye, thus the name. And scientists don't really understand how it's been formed or the structure of it and how it looks and, and behaves, but it's beautiful. Another one is the Orion Nebula, and that one is in our own kind of galactic neighborhood, the Milky Way. And you can sometimes see it at night, like just with your eyes, you don't have to use a telescope. It's in the constellation Orion, and it's seen as the middle star in the belt of Orion. So if you're looking at the constellation, it's you know the, the three stars in a line, it's the middle one. Um, it's got several beautiful things going on in it. New stars are being formed, new gas formations. It's just really colorful, it's super pretty. And then there's the Horsehead Nebula. This one's also in the Orion constellation, and it gets its name because clearly it looks like a horsehead. And this one is about 1,500 light years away from us. And guys, I just love that the universe is filled with galaxies and constellations and nebula. And again, space, instead of being this like black, dark, cold place, is actually filled with activity and color and light and beauty. John Glenn was one of the first American astronauts to go into orbit. I think he was the first one, actually. Um, the first American astronaut to go into orbit around the Earth. And this is what he said um, about being out in space. He said, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God, to me, is impossible. It just strengthens my faith. And I like to think about... If we zoom in a little bit closer on our own solar system, and we think about our sun, which is this huge ball of gas, um, it's 93 million miles away from the Earth, and it has very little variation in its radiation, which is super interesting because although this is a science and it's kind of dry, if you think about it, the Earth is positioned exactly as far away as it needs to be to receive the exact amount of warmth and light to sustain life. And not only though, does our Earth have the exact distance that it needs to be from the sun? It also has a magnetic field around it that protects us from radiation storms. And our sun, for being the size star that it is, has like the least amount of radiation um, for a star its size that um, as scientists look around the galaxy, they can measure and they can tell, which is so interesting. And another interesting fact about the moon, the sun, the sky, the stars, is that the moon orbits us in a circle. It takes almost exactly one month from start to finish in its orbit, and the moon is where we get our month from as a measurement of time. And I love that because in Genesis, God says, Genesis 1.14, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Our galaxy contains over 100 billion stars, just ours, just the Milky Way. 
And if you think about it, God put those up there um, for us to look at on purpose. And he created this whole universe full of light and color. He created um, orbits and cycles and the moon for us to mark months with. And, um, and all of that was on purpose. It was intentional. They're organized. The heavens are organized. They all move according to rules and boundaries and natural laws as they explode in glory and beauty. And so um, Psalm 19, which is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight, <coughs> is a psalm that talks about the way that God communicates. And we're going to, you know, we're going to tie in all of this stuff we've been talking about, the stars and the moon and the natural cycles and the scientific importance of being a certain amount of, of um, miles and um, time away from the sun, like all of the science that we've just talked about. We're going to tie that in because there's a purpose, and it's scientific, and it's important for us to see in life, but there's an even greater purpose to it. So let's read the first part of Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. You guys, the heavens declare the glory of God. We have talked about how beautiful they are, how intentional they are, how everything is done on purpose. So just looking at the stars and the deepness of space and the incredible order of the solar system tells us some things. One, that God exists, and two, that he is glorious. And every person on earth can look into the sky and hear the knowledge and understand the knowledge that the stars pour out. It's knowledge and understanding that doesn't need language and it doesn't need words to be understood. So every person in every language, in every country, in every part of the world can look out at the sky and understand the same things about God. God is a communicator. He is so eager to speak to us that he sends out knowledge without language. Creation is a general revelation, and this is number one on your sheets, a general revelation, a general message of who he is. So Psalm 19, 1 through 6, talks about the general revelation of God. God reveals himself and his glory and how he creates. And another interesting little like scientific tidbit is that verse 6 talks about the sun saying that nothing is deprived of its warmth. So not only do we circle the sun in a circular orbit, not only does the earth kind of spin perfectly on its axis to keep our climate even, our earth is tilted exactly 23 degrees. And that tilt makes sure that as we orbit the sun, the southern and northern hemispheres get the warmth of the sun equally. So in verse 6, as it says that no part of the earth is deprived of the warmth of the sun, absolutely that is true. The southern and northern part of the earth get the sun and its warmth equally intentionally because our God is detailed and perfect in his creation. He communicates through that perfection of creation to us. So when we're out in nature and we're looking at the stars and we look at the natural world, we can meditate on the glory and the intricacy and the power of the God who made them. So creation wasn't enough for the God who communicates and who reveals himself. He also revealed himself through his word, through his written word to us. And so we're going to continue reading Psalm 19. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right. 
rejoice. Um, sorry, I was like, I'm, re- I'm reciting that from memory from old King James. Okay, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So the way that the Lord communicates in um, part two is that it's personal. It's personal communication. It's personal revelation. And how is it personal? Well, the word law in the scripture right there is the word Torah, and it means teaching and instruction. So the law of the Lord, the Torah, is the revealed scripture. So let's look at the things that studying scripture creates in us. It refreshes the soul. You gain wisdom. You bring It brings joy to us. It helps us to see clearly. Think about this. There's other parts of the scripture that um, it just... It says a lot, like the word of God is a light into our, our feet, into our path. And when you think about being in a dark place or a dark room, you can't see. Like your eyes need light to see. So it says that the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It helps us to see clearly where we're going in our lives. It gives us a foundation to stand on. The decrees of the Lord are firm. Scripture warns us, and it sweetens our lives. I love there where it says they're more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Not only is scripture something that corrects and um, instructs, scripture is something that can comfort and bring joy and bring delight to our hearts and to our lives. And God speaks to each of us individually through his word. The way that God speaks to me is not the same way he's going to speak to Veronica, for example. It's as individual as a fingerprint because none of us learn the same. None of us think the same. None of us communicate the same way. And our God is an individual God. So he's going to use his word. He's going to use it individually and differently according to how we communicate and how we learn. So again, the way that God speaks to you through his word is going to be as individual to you as your fingerprint. Jesus is called the living word of God. In John it says, in the beginning was the word. In Genesis 1, God speaks and everything comes into being. So we need to remember that when God speaks, things change and life happens. And he reveals his words to us through the scripture. Second Timothy 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if scripture is God-breathed, is it vital to our lives? It is. Scripture teaches us, corrects us, and trains us. And not only that, but it refreshes our heart and brings us joy and helps us see clearly. So studying the word is not only a discipline, it's not only a good thing, it's not only something you should do, it's vital to living well. The scripture is God's personal revelation to you. I'm reading a book right now called How God Changes Your Brain. It's really interesting. I love it. It's written by a neuroscientist named Andrew Newberg. Um, He has done some interesting work in depression and head injuries and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. Um, He's not a Christian. He's a secular author, but his book is very interesting to me. He says this about the brain. The anterior singular cortex, which plays a crucial role in spiritual practices. Okay, and we need to talk about what that is. So in your brain, you have something called the frontal cortex, and that is the part where you make your decisions, you think logically. Right behind that is this anterior singular cortex, and it works very hand-in-hand with your decision-making part of your brain. And it says it's involved with your learning, your memory, 
your focused attention, your emotional regulation, your motor coordination, your heart rate, how you detect error, how you receive rewards, how you handle conflict, moral evaluation, and empathy. And then he goes on to say, if you want to maintain a healthy anterior cingulate cortex, that part of the brain, you must by all means meditate and pray, but only on those concepts that bring you a sense of love, joy, optimism, and hope. He goes on to say, we believe that meditation is particularly important for the brain because it counteracts our biological propensity to react to dangerous situations with animosity or fear, and it also makes us more sensitive to the suffering of others, which may explain why traditions that emphasize meditation are often involved in community charity and peacekeeping. So that's a lot of information, but again, what he's basically saying is, is that part of our brain that God has created to regulate all of our emotional fear-based, reaction-based um, things, decision-making processes and emotions are improved by meditating and improved by meditating on things that are powerfully joyful, hopeful. So as we meditate on scripture, on those things that bring joy and bring light and bring hope, that changes our brain and helps us to regulate and make um, informed decisions. So where scripture says like it brings light to our eyes so we can see clearly, it helps bring us wisdom, all of those things that scripture says that scripture does, science is now coming back and saying, yeah, actually it really does. And there's lots of places in the Psalms and in Proverbs where we're instructed to meditate on the word of God and to take that personal revelation in the way that we personally learn and personally read scripture, to take that and to make it a part and a practice of our life. So again, spiritual practices like meditation and memorization help us with emotional regulation, help us handle anxiety and conflict, learning and memory. So for a healthy brain, we need to meditate and we need to pray over the things that bring us a sense of hope. Um, so when Psalm 19 continues on and, and says um, that it brings life to us, it's really deeply true. In my own life, I wanted to share with you guys some experiences that I've had where God has used scripture to help me. Um, so in my own life, you guys need to know that I go to scripture when I'm in, in deep emotional pain. When I'm hurting, I go to the word of God. Um, I go to it when I need guidance, when I need to connect to Jesus. I know in my life that God's word does what it says it does. It's made my life sweeter and better. I've memorized it. I've put it in my brain and in my heart permanently. And some of these situations that um, I want to share with you guys are, um, there are three verses I just wanted to pull out and just share with you how God has used them. The first one is found in Daniel 1.9. It says, Now God had showed the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Um, so what that verse is saying is that um, God is able to take someone in a position of importance and cause them to show favor to you for the cause that you are um, asking help for. So you guys, I pray scripture, and I've prayed this back to God as a promise in many situations. I've prayed for favor in job interviews, in tough conversations, in sticky and important needs where someone can grant me something. So this has been helpful when I'm trying to get a last-minute passport in D.C., and government officials have given us the go-ahead. Um, when I've needed financial help to cover something, or if I'm asking for help on a project that I want to see move forward. I specifically use the word favor and, and claim the promise of God that he's able to move people in my direction when I need it. Um, another one is um, out of Romans 5.5, 5, and it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is super real, you guys. Um, we often believe incorrectly 
that God will trick us, that he won't come through on his promises, that he's not faithful. So I've used this promise in my own life when I couldn't have kids. Um, when my dad was sick with two brain tumors in college, when my husband and I were going through a really tough period of our marriage, I've used it to counsel and encourage other people because hope is not a trick. God is faithful. And if for some reason he says no or he says wait, it's because there's something better that he sees coming down the road for us. We have a loving father who is with us in the suffering, and we are loved. So we don't have to worry that God is out to get us. He's not out to get us. He's out to bring all things for our good. And maybe what our good looks like and what God's good looks like is different, but his good is better than our good, and we can trust that. So hope does not put us to shame. God is not interested in punishing us. He is for us. And the third one is just Lamentations 3, verses 31 through 33. It goes along with the Romans verse, and it says, No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. And this verse is super important to remember, again, that God is not someone who takes pleasure in the hurt of his people. It reminds me when I'm hurting that God is not willingly bringing me grief that if suffering comes to me through the hands of my God, it has purpose and it is for my good to make me better. So we've talked about the general revelation of God in the first part of Psalm 19. In, in creation, God explains who he is through his glory and his majesty and his attention to detail. Um, and then we talked about the personal revelation of God, which is the word of God's scripture and how that's individual to each person and that the scripture will speak differently to each person as we read it. And then finally, at the end of Psalm 19, we have the intimate revelation of God. Scripture says that when we're born again, when we give our lives to Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit, and he lives inside of us. So he teaches us from his word, both written and memorized, and he reminds us of things, and he convicts us when we do wrong. Last week, Hannah taught us that the word of God is living and active, and it can divide our hearts and minds like a surgeon's scalpel. Guys, there's nothing closer to us than the inside of our heart. So Psalm 19 says, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 says, keep me from hidden faults and willful sin so we won't be ruled over by our sinful desires. And if you guys, if we memorize the healing active word of God, it puts, us, it puts the word of God into the inside of our heart. It's an intimacy with the spirit. It's an intimacy of the soul. It keeps us from hidden faults and willful sin because we're reminded by the Holy Spirit and by the scripture that's already in our hearts and minds. And y'all, I don't know about you, but I don't ever carry a Bible around in my hand. So when temptation comes to me, it's not usually when I'm ready for it. I need to be ready for temptation at all times, in all places, because the enemy knows what buttons to push with me, and he'll push them if he thinks he can get away with it. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the, de in the desert, he answered the devil with scripture every single time he was tempted. So if scripture is how God rebukes the devil, maybe we should be um, doing that as well, and we should be actively knowing it. So when temptation comes, we're ready. And guys, don't forget, we have this enemy that is actively trying to discourage us and keep us from being effective in the kingdom. So memorizing and meditating on the word, it's not just good for our minds and our hearts to grow us and to change us. It's good for us as a weapon against the evil one. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So guys, as we've talked tonight about memorizing the word and meditating on who God is, 
Um, the next time you're out for a hike, look around and just think about the ability of God to create everything on a large scale, but have such attention to detail that God is majesty and he's powerful and he's big, but he's also intimate and close. That he speaks to everyone in the world because he communicates that God wants to know you and he wants you to be known by him. Think about when you open the Bible, that it's not just a history book. It's not just a book of old stories. It's the way that God is going to communicate to your heart and change you from the inside out. And as you memorize and as you let the Holy Spirit change you in the inside of you, don't forget that God is like huge and he throws the stars out into space, but he's also the God who comes close and near and lives inside of you. So guys, Psalm 19 starts with the stars and it ends with the heart. And that is the God who will communicate with you on a large scale and come close, as close as you and I can possibly get to him, to the inside of us. Louis Giglio has um, a video that I want to share with you guys. It's one of my favorite videos. And um, it's a really interesting conversation about um, science and nature and praise and how all of these things work together. So go ahead and listen to this. Because stars don't just shine, stars also sing. Let me just show you a couple more stars. This one is called the Vela Pulsar, and it's magnificent. It's a thousand light years away. It's a highly magnetized neutron star. Right. It simply means this star exploded into a supernova, and in the case of the Vela Pulsar, it collapsed back on itself in a magnetic entity, and as a pulsar, it began oscillating on its axis. This one oscillates 11 times a second on its axis. And as it is oscillating, you can see what's happening. It's shooting a radio frequency out of itself. When they aimed the radio telescopes at the Vela Pulsar, this is what they heard. And this is what this guy does 24-7, day and night, 365 days a year. This is what, from a thousand light years away, the Vela Pulsar sounds like right now. This is it. Listen to this. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, that blew me away. I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. You're like, well, what does it mean? I don't know. Is that some kind of Morse code for something? Or what does what, what all that mean? I don't know what it means, but, and I don't want to you know, go too crazy here, but maybe the Vela Pulsar got wind somehow innately of Psalm 148, verse 3, and says, it says, praise him, sun and moon, and all you shining stars. We're a shining star. We should praise him. Well, how are we going to praise him? I know. Let's oscillate 11 times a second on our axis and see if we can send a radio signal into the universe that would join in the symphony of of God's praise from all creation. It's singing. The stars are singing to him. I recently stumbled on 47 Tuck. It's a, a beautiful uh, cluster of stars. We'll show you the picture of it here. There are 12 of these super giant blue stars in there, but the things that are of interest to us tonight are these millisecond pulsars. And right now, tonight, while we're sitting in this room, the 16 recorded millisecond pulsars and 47 tuck are making this sound right now.
beautiful who knew no God has his own string section he's not beautiful and we just looked at one 11 times a second pulsar and 16 millisecond pulsars and you start seeing Psalm 48 come to life but look down at verse 7 it says praise the Lord from the earth you great sea creatures in all deeps the, the whale songs could sound like this right here take a listen don't know the expanse of the worship that is continually surrounding the throne of God. And our songs are great, but God isn't banking on our songs because he is surrounded by a symphony that's bigger than our wildest dreams tonight. Stars sing and whales sing and the birds fly. And I just tried to imagine what would it sound like if you could just for a second be God and hear what he hears. And I can't get us there tonight, but I, I came close. I had a friend who helped me with this little iPad program. And, and I'm not a DJ, but I, I just a little thing, just quickly, and I, I want you to see how this works. Now, this guy, we didn't look at his picture. He's PSR BO329-54. And he's only rotating one and a half times per second, which is not all that much, but we need him in our little experiment we're going to do here, okay? Um, and then we had the Vela Pulsar. You remember the Vela Pulsar, right? So that's that guy. That's a little too fast for what we're trying to do, so we're going to slow that down, okay? And so we're going to put the, uh, the millisecond guys in there, the ones you just heard. Here they come. singing and we tried this and you just got to know this is unedited we just dropped this on and this is what happened this is what they might be singing 
stars in Wales. Just you and the whales. Just you and the whales. 